Party Issues, a podcast about leadership management and deep thoughts about Zoom backgrounds. Mm. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. Sometimes you have the right idea, but not enough lumens. <laughs> Today on the show, we're talking with Rishi Malik, founder at Backstop and partner at Container Heroes. Uh, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, hi, Rishi. Me. Hi. Um, I'm going to kick things off like we always do uh, with uh, the question that we start everything with. Uh, tell us about your path to leadership, um, how you got into management. Tell us from the beginning, maybe, how you got to where you are now. Sure, sure. Uh, I think my background in terms of technical management really starts when I was young. Uh, I got into computers very early, like six or seven years old, uh, and, and going from there. I was fortunate enough to have a, a family with a, a technical background. My dad was uh, an engineer. Uh, my mom was a scientist. And so being in that realm was just something that was kind of happening. It was just, you know, it was kind of predestined in, in that regard. And wait, but, so I, I'm just going to ask a specific about that. Oh, so yeah, I mean, we're going to interrupt you. Like, Don't worry. Yeah, we're going to interrupt you the whole time. Sure. So, like, <laughs> are they bringing home computers when you're young and very few people have access to computers? Or they're, like, at home and your dad's writing out C algorithms on paper that you're copying? Or, like, what does it mean that that they were technical and that this had an impact on you? Yeah, fair, fair point. Uh, all of that. So my dad, uh, so the first computer I started working with was, uh, was an Intel 8088, uh, super old school because my dad had it there. He started a, wow. a company, uh, selling computers. He was an engineer, so he was writing code. Uh, you know, one of the first things I remember is looking at this ginormous stack of paper all bound together, uh, and opening it up. And, you know, a lot of other places it'd be, you know, a book. In this case, it was source code. Uh, and at the time, wow, I, I, I thought I was making a joke, but you're actually opening up books of source code. <laughs> books okay, of source continue. code. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was actually related to simulation uh, in, in video and stuff like that for, uh, for airlines and, and for the, for, for NASA back in the day. And so, uh, you know, I didn't understand any of it, but it was just like, it, it was around. It was so normalized. Got, exactly. So I started, you know, playing around, writing QBasic and things like that. Um, yes, shout out to QBasic. Keep going. <laughs> gorillas dot bass, absolutely. Um, and it was yes, gorillas and, and nibbles. Everything I learned about programming, <laughs> I learned from QBasic because it was before Stack Overflow or wherever you find out information these days. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> uh, you know, but it was a it was a, a good neighborhood as well, and so. Uh, some of the neighborhood kids were also getting into that type of thing. And we thought, you know what? We're going to make a game. And, and so we did. We made a little text adventure game. Um, oh, yes. I, I, don't know, I think I have the, the, the source code somewhere around still. Uh, it was about as good as you would expect for kids to make. Um, which is to say it wasn't that great at all, but it was a ton of fun. Um, I I would really like to see this because I too made QBasic games and I have a DOS box emulator running on my computer so that I can pull up my old QBasic game. So if you have this code, I would be very interested. Sorry, keep going. Uh, <laughs> I, I will give it to around because that, that would be awesome. We should. Yeah, how old were you at that out. time? How old were you in the neighborhood kids and how much help did you get from your parents? Um, 
I was probably like seven or eight at that point. It was a little bit, a little bit later, still in elementary school. Same with one of the Whoa. other kids. Um, the one of the other guys, was, you know, had an older brother, so um, that helped a fair amount. But that was kind of the the intro to to leadership as well, because mm. uh, while you know the older kid was you know very nice and very helpful and very interested. Um, he, you know, had his own way of doing things. He had his own vision that he wanted to make. You know, we're all kids, so it's, you know, the type of, you know, schoolyard drama, I guess. Um, but, you know, it, <laughs> no. it, it was about how to how to convince him to go the path that God wanted, you know, how to convince the other people, and vice versa for them, too. You know, I'm, I was, I'm sure I wanted to go in ways that, that they didn't want to go. Um, ah. So you had to convince so. your friends uh, exactly. that you wanted, yeah. you know, that they wanted the thing you wanted as well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, we should play a few <laughs> notes of music right here. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, cool. So, so then just, what yeah, happened? Um, you know, so then like that, that was just something I was interested in. And the, the rest of my time growing up was always, you know, I was always into math and science. Uh, started doing assembly in, in high school and going to the, the local colleges for that. Uh, mm -hmm. Then graduated and went into computer science. Um, you know, from there, it's just been a, a career of a lot of different aspects of technical work. Um, you know, everything from uh, embedded work to web development to um, you know IoT and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, did you ever work on blockchain? I'm sorry, you were just getting to the meat, and I had to. <laughs> I, I have to ask. You had to cheapen it with stuff about the blockchain. I, I want to know if there was blockchain involved. <laughs> there was no blockchain involved. In okay, thank you. Awful. I could pull out my career without ever having to touch blockchain. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you uh, said you went to college and got in computer science. I'm, I'm, are you going to tell a story yes. about blockchain? Because I'll shut up right now if you're going to do that. No, no. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm laughing because you were literally just getting to the point. You were like, I, I did this. I did that. A whole bunch of different things. And then, and then I interrupted you. So, and then. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, what, one of the kind of constant themes was, uh, you know, in terms of how it relates to leadership was just being able to, to make things happen. Uh, you know, I started my career at a, you know, I, I worked at a, a defense company. I worked at a large backup and, and storage company. Uh, you know, thousands and thousands of people, you know, and, and that was kind of my start. And as my career progressed, I got to, to smaller and smaller companies where, you know, you wear more hats, you do more things. Uh, and structure is far less defined. And that's something, it turns out, I love. It's something I, I thrive in, but it's also one of those areas where, you know, natural leadership, I think really starts to, to matter a whole lot, uh, you know, where, what, you know, you're doing as an individual has to contribute back to the team, to the company and to everyone else. But no one's telling you kind of what to do because, well, no one really knows what's going on. And, you know, what no one has done. time to tell you what to do either. Right. I feel like you did this in the right order. You started at larger places with more structure, which is good for when folks are new in their careers and move towards places where there's less and less structure, where your particular leadership skills can shine. A lot of people do it the other way around. I feel like they just get in at the startup level and they never learn about how good leadership works. Do you feel that's accurate or am I misrepresenting that? 
No, I, I think that's a, a fair point. And I think a lot of it depends on um, both, obviously, you know, what people are, are interested in, but, um, you know, what, what the, what your overall kind of goals are. Um, yeah. You know, some people I've, I found are very comfortable saying, I want to come in, I want to do my job, you know, within this, this box of whatever that may be. I don't want to leave and I want to do that, you know, as much as possible. Like that's what they want to optimize for. Uh, which is totally fair and you know great for you know for folks to find that but i've i found out i think actually like fairly early that that's that's not me mm -hmm. uh, you know I, I want to learn something new every day i want to uh but i want i want to to do more than just like whatever my box is i'm not i'm not that kind of person i'm not saying that i'm like the best at everything but like i'm just not going to be happy if i sit at my computer and write code for one specific thing all day, every day. You know, if I don't get to talk to people, if I don't get to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, help out, if I don't get to see how to, you know, sell a product, if I don't get to do, um, you know, think about the marketing side of things. Like I, I'm just, I'm not happy. I like holistic systems, you know, to be honest, uh, not just, mm -hmm. you know, individual components. I, I read a tweet just this last week that that's been lingering in my head. I've mentioned many times. I have no idea who this was from. I maybe need to look it up to attribute, but it said something like, "What's the stupidest thing you've ever done for money?" And he says, "I'll start. I sit at a computer all day long." Um, yeah, <laughs> and I've just been thinking about that ever since. Like, oh goodness, <laughs> yes. Um, but so, I mean, is it, it the? It sounds like part of what appealed to you about the leadership pieces and all the other things, in addition to just writing code, because you still write code. You're still highly technical, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's the squishiness and the the fact that it's different and new and complicated, and it's not quantifiable all the time that's that's partly what's appealing to you absolutely absolutely uh you know i think uh it, it's i don't like doing work for the sake of doing work which i know it means i don't like doing work kind of in a vacuum mm -hmm. uh, I, I like to see the results of it if i'm going to write code like that's great you know as you said i i, I mean i write code all day still uh, you know and I, I love writing code but it's not i'm not the guy who's going to do something very specific, put it on GitHub, and like that's that's my code, that's my thing. Like, if no one is using what I'm doing, if I'm not delivering value for someone, be it a company, be it a person, be it a internal tool, even like I, it's it's just not interesting to me. Uh, hmm. And it's one of those things that you know I did kind of figure out early, and and honestly, it was it was actually something that came out of things non-technical. Uh, you know, from actually from sports is when I, I really started to figure it out. Uh, but this was like something you know about about me and about my my personality. Uh, done done a bunch of different sports over the years, uh, but I played a lot of ultimate frisbee and got really competitive with it. Mm. You know, traveling for tournaments and you know competing in in you know at a very high level. And it's one of those sports where like you're not just a defender, you're not just you know playing offense, you're not doing that one kind of like role position. Kind of more closer to to soccer where you know you're you're you know, as a midfielder in soccer, you're being more creative and ultimately you're playing a lot of different pieces and trying to make that happen. And in, in leading teams in that sport was really when it kind of clicked for me. And I said, yeah, you know what? This, this is me. I, I like more than just that, that one role. The utility infielder. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey. that's, I mean, that's a really <laughs> interesting analogy. The, the, yeah, you can be, 
highly, highly specialized or the person that it's really your job to sort of funnel all of the specialized, funnel the, the work or whatever it is, the ball, uh, the Frisbee to the specialized people. And um, that's a really interesting analogy. I hadn't thought about that. I like that. Um, well, so can I drill into some, I, I, you know, I want to hear specifically about how you went technical to, you know, I, I know you were a, a founder or I think you were a founder at that startup that, uh, Parkify, I think it's called. And, <laughs> and just, just tell the story of how you ended up there, what that rise was like, what the, you know, what happened afterwards. I want to hear all those details. Cause I think that's interesting. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, when I, all of my career in terms of company progression has also, you know, been coupled with like geographic changes, um, you know, and for me uh, around, I guess it'd be 2011, I started getting more into to what, you know, you'd consider a startup these days, like VC backed startups. You know, I'd worked for smaller companies before that were bootstrapped and did very well. Uh, but yeah, 2011 is when I kind of started getting into that, that proper VC startup phase. Um, For some value, know, proper. <laughs> exactly. Proper. I'm putting in air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, keep going. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and so the, that was, you know, another kind of, it was an eye-opening experience in a lot of different ways because I started working for these small companies that had raised significant money. I saw, you know, to, to use the phrase, I see how the, the sausage is being made. I see what's going well. I see what's going really poorly. Uh, you know, you, you start to think like, yeah, okay, I can I can do this. And for me, with the, the background that I had, you know, and already being somewhat entrepreneurial, you know, it was just kind of leading me down that path to, to starting my own company. Uh, so after after being in a couple of companies, some, you know, that were, you know, highly successful and well-known, uh, you know, I started a, a company with... Uh, with my co-founder in the parking space. Uh, so one of the struggles that we kind of consistently had, we met at the the previous company we were at, uh, was oddly enough, just, just parking, you know, being late for meetings because we couldn't find a parking spot. We had a- There's had a, a reason I left the Bay Area. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, a, a great friend of mine, he was my, my boss at the time, he, he was traveling every week. So he'd start to cut corners uh, in terms of how late he'd have to leave before he got to the airport, you know, just trying like minimize the amount of time to get there. And, you know, if he got it just like a little bit wrong by a minute or two, because he couldn't find a parking spot, he'd miss his flight. And it was that type of thing where we said, you know what? Like, can't live like that. Uh. <laughs> yeah. It causes me stress too, but I can think of at least a couple of people that I know are that way very much. So same. Anyway, exactly. sorry, carry on. <laughs> And so we were like, you know what, we, we can we can solve this. Like we're we're smart people. There's clearly a market here, and this this just feels like one of those things that you you want to be well, that should be better by now. Um, you know, so we that that was a company we started, and it was um that would have been like basically end of 2014, beginning of 2015 that would that we did that. So it was a, a company called Parkify, and we uh, we started solving that problem by detecting where open parking spots are. So building a physical IoT device, it was IoT at the time, but there were no IoT networks really. So we were, we actually built that out ourselves, but manufacturing these devices that would detect if a car is in a parking spot, send that data back to a cloud platform. And you know, that's, that's how we, we sold that data to uh, eventually what was really the people who own and operate parking lots after you know, kind of experimenting with that a bit. 
So yeah, it was a. It was... Go ahead. <laughs> well, well, no, so so <laughs> so that's the tech. But talk about. I mean, you you raised money, you grew a team. Um, what was the leadership experience of that like? And and um, you know, how did it end? Did you sell for billions and billions of dollars? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we uh, no, we did not uh, to to ruin any. We did not sell for billions and billions of dollars. Um, we we did sell a company. It was. Uh, it was a good exit, you know, for the technology, but it was definitely not a financial win for, for anyone involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was of the, you know, the, the VC game, it was, you know, it's not a great outcome for that, but it's the most probable outcome for, you know, VC backed company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ra- raising money and that type of experience and that type of, of leadership was a really uh, kind of crazy experience. Even for me, having been through, been through like bits of that at different places and, you know, having already been in, in management stuff at different places, you know, it's definitely a, a wildly different experience when you're, you know, a founder, when you're raising money and all of a sudden more money, you know, somebody just wrote you a check for with literally more money than you've ever seen in your entire life put together. Um, and says, yeah, now go, go make me some money with this. Um, Is that know. stressful for you? Did you, I mean, I, I, did you feel a ton of stress at this company? How did, how did that go up and down? Oh, absolutely. It was a ton of stress. Um, it was a very good learning experience. It's not something I would repeat or I would I do again. Gonna, on I was just going to ask, <laughs> would you do this again? <laughs> and like, on the part same of this term. Is like, so wait, but wait, 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 Rachel, you're, you're going to, you're going to miss. He said on the same terms. So you mean with better oh, okay. terms, we'll you get would there. Do oh, okay, He's the okay, founder again, I see. So we'll get to that. But I, uh, I was super uh, intrigued by, you know, the, one of the things that the startup did, had, it had a whole hardware side to it. A lot of entrepreneurs at this point aren't really dealing with hardware. They're just, you know, putting things up in the cloud and providing APIs and that kind of stuff. And there's never any hardware concern. So do you think that that uh, gave you any kind of experience that you wouldn't, that you're using now? Interesting. You know, I, I think, I think it did. Uh, hardware is hard and most investors, most you know founders don't, don't want to deal with it uh, mm-hmm. for very legit, very good reasons. It is really uh, complicated. It, yeah. it is. It's one of those things that like, it's just, even as fast as hardware can move and as fast as development can change, it's so much slower than what you're used to with software. And, and even, you know, even things that are, are, are non-tech, um, because you think of hardware and you think of like, you think of your, your iPhone, right? And it's an incredibly complex piece of machinery that, you know, still costs a lot of money. But when you think about all the, the effort gone into it, it's, it's amazing how much technology is there for such a, a low price. Uh, but it turns out to get there, you have to manufacture at you know massive scale, and and trying to bridge that gap when you're a startup and you're like, well, hey, here's an idea. Does anyone want this? You know, great. We'll take five, you know, to, to yeah. go from you know five sensors to like millions of them, and you know actually be able to do that cost effectively, you know, and finance a company that way is well, it's yeah. tricky business. There's a whole bunch of math you have to do to decide how many of your, you know, first run of trial things are going to make it worth it to do the run, that kind of stuff. But it also, um, it slows you down, right? You have to plan ahead a bit more. And that's kind of the sort of thing that I was interested in. Do you think that you learn stuff about planning, about uh, scheduling and, and, and prioritizing that you wouldn't otherwise have picked up? Have you brought any of this forward with you? Uh 
I would say you do have to plan ahead. The interesting thing is that I learned, I always had that expectation, right? With manufacturing, you think of it being very rigid and very um, easy is not the right word, but like very consistent with what you're doing, right? Because you're doing the same thing, you know, a million times. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, the things I learned was that that's not really the case. Uh, all sorts of things go wrong as soon as you actually have to deal with it. Uh, things that you think are like perfectly built, you know, be it a, a phone, you know, aren't, you know, until so all of a sudden it's like, great, you have, you know, 10,000 cases for your sensor. And it turns out that even though it's injection molded, even though they're as accurate as you can make them, you know, much <laughs> of them don't fit or, you know, they do fit, but it just take it's going to take the person, you know, or the tool or the machine, you know, 10 X longer to do the assembly than you thought. Yeah. The tolerances uh, are different or whatever. But yeah, exactly. And so, you know, from a planning ahead perspective, like trying to figure out where, you know, you could kind of build in that, that fudge factor that, um, you know, that extra time was really difficult because it, you know, it changed. And to be honest with you, we just, we were, we were a startup. We're not, you know, we weren't really good at that either with all the other things going on too, especially. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, cool. definitely interesting. Is, and is there sort of one takeaway that you, like when you look back on that particular experience, like, so when I look at your resume, I see a whole bunch of these different things. And I assume that this must have been an experience that dramatically changed the way you think about leadership, the way you think about the work that you want to do and that you care to do. Is that the case or does this one not really stand out and it was just another thing? Or or if it was, what did you, what did you take away? The biggest takeaway for me is that the right people for what you're trying to do are by far more important than almost everything else. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it seems obvious, right? Especially when, when you've done it for a while, like, yeah, you need good people. You need, you know, people uh, who, who can, who can, who can do the job. But like, for me, it was a crystallization of the right person, you know, to do the job in the environment that we're in. You know, and, and that, that's something I, I think a lot more about environment now than I do when I'm, you know, hiring or think about like who's best to, to take on something. Uh, you know, previously it was always just like, do they have the technical skills to do this? And now it's, that's like, you know, almost like third or fourth on my list of things that I'm, you know, trying to evaluate, you know, someone on and more of a, uh, you know, do they have the, the attitude? Is this a good fit for them? Is, you know, the, the context surrounding them going to make them successful? I like what you just said just then. Sorry, I'm going to cut in here. I apologize. But you said, is this a good fit for them? Oftentimes, I feel like people who are hiring and people who are looking to to hire people are like, are they a good fit for us? And I really like that you said it the other way around because that makes a huge difference to the outcome there. Uh, uh, Did you specifically say that on purpose or uh, or am I inflating? Oh, so talk more about that. I'd really like to hear about that. Yeah, d- definitely intentional. Um, one of the nice things, you know, about having raised VC money was you get this network of amazing people, right? And you can look at people's resumes and you're like, wow, you've done, you've done more than you know I, I could possibly imagine. And you're, you know, younger than me, or you're even in some cases you're 20 years older than me. You know, this is awesome. Um, but then you, you know, you bring them in and you you start to work with them, um, you know, and, and they they struggle. And they struggle not because they're not smart or because they're not experienced or because, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, and honestly, most of the time they struggle because, you know, we as a, we as a company don't know what we're doing. You know, we as an environment aren't, aren't built for what they're, for, you know, we're not a good fit for them. Uh, 
you know, and so like, and I've, I've seen the reverse where somebody, you know, hired someone and they were just, you know, an absolute disaster. And you, you know, you, you end up having to, to part ways and you let them go and they go somewhere else. And they're just, you know, again, amazing, like super successful. And you're like, yeah, it turns what out happened? it wasn't you, it was me. Totally, totally me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just something that, you know, that I, I try and be so much more cognizant of because it's really, it's like, you know, when you're interviewing, you're not just, you know, presenting yourself, you're not selling yourself, you're, you're making sure it's a good fit for you. They're selling themselves on, you know, on you joining as well. You know, and it's like both of those things have to align to be, you know, amazing at something. And if neither of them or if one or both don't align, it's just it's a it's a big problem. Do you have any yeah. uh, tricks for or, or uh, guidelines for kind of getting to that in a, res, in a in an interview situation? Honestly, I think interviews are really hard to do that in just given yeah. the, the, the structure. I mean, anyone coming in, even if they're, you know, been a, a VP for 20 years, like there's, they're still a little bit nervous. You know, it's still a, it's an isolated example compared to what they would really be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, having said that, you know, I, I, I try and, you know, ask questions around trying to get a feel for the environments they like. I try and get a feel for their body language in terms of, you know, walking them around and seeing how well they, they interact. You know, if it's a loud open office and they're, you know, a quiet person, they do great work, but they need quiet, you know, is it a good fit? Maybe not. Um, you know, all, all those types of things, but th those are all like small bits of signal. You know, I, I don't, I don't say, think it's enough to really know. Um, and honestly, I try and I try and just like bring people on these days kind of early on and say, look, you know, here, here's what we want to do. Let's see you know, how, how best can we test this out? Uh, mm -hmm. That conversation is actually usually pretty enlightening uh, from a technical, like a hiring a software engineer perspective. You say, look, you know, I want to, I want to do some work with you, you know, how best can we do it? They very well may have, you know, a family and kids. And so doing any work outside of, you know, nine to five is just an impossibility, which is fair. Or, you know, they, they prefer like a homework type thing where they can do code on their own time when they, you know, have a good setup, you know, and chip something in. For me, I'm actually the opposite. I, I'd rather you ask me all the crazy technical questions, like the whiteboarding in a, in an interview. Uh, that, that's what I like. Cause I know if I go home, like there's no chance I'm getting back on my computer, you know, until it's like <laughs> 11 PM and I'm exhausted. Uh, so it's just, you know, about like getting that, that feel like what works best for the person, you know, and that even would, just yeah. making sure you have those conversations, I think is, is helpful. Where they can contribute or show their best side. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, so then, I mean, and thanks for sharing all these details that I'm poking at specific things. I mean, talk a little bit about, cause we've, we, we haven't let you quite get there yet. What are you doing today? And, uh, you know, where, where have you, where have you landed after all of this? What are you enjoying? Like <laughs> yeah. Are you, are yeah. you retired? Uh, no, no, sadly I'm not retired. <laughs> Uh, except I said, sadly, I, I would hate being retired, so I don't even want to. Um, I do a lot of con consulting these days. Um, and a big part of that actually is through, uh, because of, you know, working with Kendall, which was, has been amazing. Uh, it was something I wouldn't have actually ordinarily thought of, except for having the opportunity to, to sit across from Kendall at a, at a lunch and, you know, just chat after, uh, I, you know, after I part five years of other work. But but just for the sake uh -huh. of the listeners, have meals with Kendall and uh, good things happen. That's that's the one takeaway I want people to have. For <laughs> anyway, well, we going. know you like to have meals with people, so it's true. Eating is about my favorite. Anyways, 
Um, so yeah, I, so since then I've been doing a lot of consulting. I do some security, like cybersecurity consulting. I do cloud architecture, um, and you know, I tend to for the security side of things, I focus on kind of small to, to medium businesses, you know, companies that don't that need security and aren't really big enough to have a, a dedicated security team. Um, and it, it really consulting has been super interesting from a leadership perspective to me. Uh, you walk in as a consultant and all of a sudden, like just instantly you have, you have a bit of status, right? You may be working with a group of people, a group of engineers who honestly can be far better than you are and know far more and without a doubt, know a lot more about the, the context and the company and the situations they're in. Uh, but people will listen to you more because you're, you're the, the outsider. So at least <laughs> for a while, you, paid. <laughs> yeah, you have some yeah. authority. Uh, you know, but at the same time, then a lot of times you're also trying to lead while not being an employee, not while being an outsider. So it's kind of kind of like leadership without really having the line manager authority. Um, but, you know, it, 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 so it's just, this is really kind of interesting to me, uh, exciting dynamic, uh, mm -hmm. you know, where you, you work like yeah. you know, one company I work with right now. Uh, lots of great people, lots of kind of tech debt they're trying to get through. Um, and me coming in as a consultant, you know, is really helpful, not just because of, of the work I do, but because people have been, you know, bringing up ideas, right? They've been saying, you know, we need to do X and not really getting cycles to do it, not really getting shut down. I can go say, hey, let's do X. And then it happens. <laughs> um, you know, but it's the type of thing you, you want to make sure, like, you, you do it right. Like, I'm, this isn't my idea. It's not me. Hey, I'm the consultant. I'm the, the smart guy. It's, hey, we, I was chatting with the team, and here's something that we can do that will improve, you know, X, Y, and Z. Let's go oh, do it. You're rare uh, as a consultant to yeah. actually credit the, <laughs> the person uh, on site that gave you the idea. That is not standard behavior, as far as I recall. <laughs> <laughs> I but yeah, I bet it, it's really different that you, you, I was talking about this with someone just today uh, who was like a little frustrated with their leadership chain and their, uh, you know, like I should become a consultant. I, it's been proposed to them that they go out and become a consultant. I'm sure they would be a wonderful consultant, but they're especially good at the part of uh, working in, in management, in leadership, where you where you learn your manager and your management chain and how to play them in a way like you, you learn the way to get what you want from them to leverage their weaknesses or their interests or their strengths. And when you're a yeah. consultant, that's a very different proposition. And I wonder if you've noticed that and if you're behaving differently as a result. You know, I, I think the, that proposition is still the same, but it just has to happen a lot faster. Um, yeah, and totally. I, I say this as someone who's, uh, I, I'm not good at the like, kind of playing politics side of, you know, being in a, in a bigger company. And that's, that's a big part of why I like smaller companies and why I like consulting. Um, I'm not going to be that kind of consultant who's going to have the deals with, you know, C-level execs at, you know, <laughs> Fortune 500, because a big part of that is being able to identify that and do that type of thing quickly. Um, and I'm both not good at it, not really, not really interested in becoming good at that. Uh, yeah, even if you're good at it, it doesn't mean it's any fun. Oh, sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I think like, you know, at like the, the smaller, you know, these are still, you know, some of these are still companies, you know, 500 to a thousand people. But, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with it at the, that smaller level, it's, you know, you're still selling as a consultant, right? Like that's, you're, you're constantly doing that. 
but it, it's selling it's not selling the politics it's selling a good solution it's telling like, here's how we can make your life better here's why you're drowning right now great here's how i can help you you know get back to being able to see your kids or you know here's why all your you know your, your folks aren't happy or here's what you can't hire good people you know let's let's talk to that and start you know changing some things there um i will say that the for for being a consultant, the surprising thing about what most people seem to value out of you know what we do is that it's not we get in the door because of the technical work, but it's almost never the technical work that people keep us on for. Oh yeah, uh, which has been a, a learning experience. So you said something about um, you can you know you, you can help this particular company uh, figure out who to hire or how to hire better. That's part of the, the service that you provide currently, or is that one of the, like, does this just happens on the side things? It's just one of those on the side things, you know, hmm. it's it, that, 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 yeah, that's, that's definitely been one of the most surprising things. Uh, you know, 50 to 70% of the time, it's, you know, the pure technical work that we're there to do, you know, to do the security reviews, to do the, the cloud architecture and, and that type of stuff. But the rest of it is just like, Hey, do you know anyone who's good for this? Okay, mm-hmm. sure. You know, here, here's a network of people. Yeah, you know, we're not really getting anyone through, you know, with this job description. You mind taking a look at it? And like, I'm not going to try and bill them for, you know, 10 minutes of looking at a job description. You know, most of these are just kind of conversations that happen over, you know, well, over a Zoom now, but, you know, over, a, you know, a cup of coffee or a meal or whatnot. Um, and that's been like why uh, the, the larger organization tends to be more excited. You know, the, the technical yeah, work that you do is relevant to like one person, but everyone sees, oh, we're hiring more or, you know, where people are happier and they're talking about it because of, you know, the, the work that you've done. So it's been interesting. Well, so I, I take issue with uh, you're not going to bill them for the 10 minutes it takes to look at the the the, the job description. <laughs> of course, of course you do. You bill them for the hour that it took you to spend the 10 minutes to look at the job description. Uh, if I've learned anything from lawyers... Come on, Rishi. Um, <laughs> so, Things you should um, learn from you lawyers. Put it, you don't itemize it. You just mix it all that's, together that's and right. it comes out in the line. That's right. That's right. Um, okay. Well, so, I mean, you've had all these different roles across lots of different kinds of organizations. You've been, you, you still go in, it, you know, I, I've been in that situation where you walk in and you're the expert because you're the consultant. And there's something that's very powerful in my ego to, to have that be the case. I, I, I like it very much like, hello, yes, I have arrived. All of your problems will go away. Um, I mean, you've been in a lot of these different situations, good or bad, right? And and um, I'm curious, like, as you reflect on that, like, how do you think of having authority over other people or being in a position of authority and versus, you know, it, it's been a while, it sounds like maybe since you've had a formal boss, I guess, you know, there's always a boss at each individual client, but you know, how is that different from other people having authority over you? And um, talk a little bit about just your relationship to authority itself. That is a, a great set of questions, uh, especially if you're ending with, you know, my relationship to authority, because I think in my experience, a lot of people with the entrepreneurial, the founder, the consultant mindset uh, tend not to be very strong proponents of people having authority over themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You read about um, that in our experience. <laughs> yeah. E- even since I was a kid, like I, I've always hated that. I absolutely, I hate, I hate authority with no reason other than power. If that makes sense. Like because I said so. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, authority is just, it's, it's a concept that's there, right? There are tons of people that have authority over me, you know, because I, I both left them, but because they're, they're better than me at, you know, millions of things, right? You know, they're authority. And so I will defer to them, you know, as much as I can and, and listen to them. And that, that is like great authority to me. That is, that is what you want. That's the, the try and that's the, the type of leader I try and be, you know, less of like, uh, you're going to listen to me because, you know, I'm your boss. And if you don't, you don't get paid. That's part of it, but it's not the, that's not how you make a good team. That's not how you, that's not how you do something amazing. You know, it, it's when you, it's when you can be a leader without having that authority that to me, it really starts to click when, when people listen because, you know, you're, you're giving them a vision they buy into. You're giving them a reason you're helping them with something. Your expertise and what you do is more knowledgeable than theirs. To me, that's, that's both the authority I like, and that's the authority I'm willing to uh, to accede and to to go along with. <laughs> Is there something you're working on in particular right now to be that kind of leader? Are you tackling a particular problem at the moment? Um, you know, so it's on a very specific level. You know, it's certainly something that in almost all the consulting engagements I do is a is a part of it. Um, you know, it's, it's that type of thing where the, these bigger orgs, you know, have a lot that needs to get done and, you know, by and large, they, they brought us on to do kind of a, a piece of it, but really the piece of it that we do fits into the whole, you know, in a good way and we'll get them to a much better place down the road. So it becomes a lot of kind of like internal selling, not from the consultant, like billable hour side, but selling from like the idea perspective. Uh, sure. you know, kind of within that. And so a big part of that is, you know, how do I, how do I talk to this person and convince them to do something that's going to take them a bunch of work, um, cost them a bunch of time. And I have no, not only do I, you know, am I not their boss? I'm not even in the company, you know, I'm just coming in trying to like, trying to convince them of, of doing it because it's the, the right thing to do almost. Um, so that's a lot of, you know, practice of like being able to make sure they have a reason to do it to make sure their feelings aren't being heard again. And a lot of or are, are being heard are finally being heard mm-hmm. rather in a lot of these situations, the things that I, you know, I need to get people to do, they already know they want to do it. A lot of times they just can't for, you know, for whatever reason, or, you know, they, they don't have the ability to do it. And so it's, you know, about listening to why they, they can't get it done and making it, making sure it's not, you haven't got it done because you're not good. Here's all the other things that are going on. And the reason, you know, for you, you can't get it done. You don't have the cycles to do it. I can go in because people are going to listen to me and say, Hey, you know, you need to go on, you know, you need to have the time to go do this. And then, then it's an easier sell. Um, so it's on kind a of scope, it's... in a way you're sort of Absolutely. figuring out who it is you're talking to, what they need to know, you know, what the context is and seeing how many shortcuts you can take too to pitch them, give them the context they need to be on your side. So that's, so exactly. this is what you're talking about working on right now is like picking up all of this data and, turning it into a pitch that works exactly yeah, yeah. you know and then like from a wider standpoint i'm trying to figure out how to take that you know from something day to day that i do and do it in a honestly in a more like socially beneficial way hmm. um you know you, you see a lot of what's going on you know with with the black lives matter movement and you know racism and you know systemic racism and just like everything that's going on in the world around you and like i, I want to do far more than i do but I'm in, a, I'm in a weird spot with both, you know, you know, supporting a family, but also like I have no 
uh, you know, I have no authority, right? I don't, I haven't been working with groups that are, you know, in the, in the justice space for a long time. Like I, I don't know anyone there. I don't, I don't have a huge Twitter follower. I don't have, you know, anything like that. And so it's, it, it's part of what I'm trying to relate to is how do I, how do I go do something? How do I go try and, and help? How do I, I lead in a way that's not just, you know, time for money since that's right, that the scale. Or as you said, you're not already part of some of these orgs, not inserting yourself into some situation without more understanding of what is needed, that kind of stuff too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. And you're talking a lot about, I mean, all of this relates to leading through influence and, you know, what's, what's the famous book making friends and influence people or something like that, how to make friends and influence people. Uh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I know Rishi that you walk into situations and you humbly listen and you do, you know, people like you and respect you because you earn it. And uh, just the influence side of that is really interesting to me and as a thread across all of these things, you know, from, from the beginning when you're talking about game development with your older brother and you have to influence how that goes to, you know, being uh, in different leadership roles across lots of different things to, um, you know, being a consultant today where you walk in and you don't have positional authority, even though people are interested in listening to you. But it's the kind of thing that a consultant can lose very, very quickly if they don't do it in an appropriate way. And so, you know, I think the reason you're able to make change is because of that skill and influence is my guess. Um, does that sound approximately <laughs> correct now that I'm turning that into a Was question? That a question? Here at the very end? <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to get well, a job, Kendall? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, anyways, I mean, does that sound like that hits the, the head of the nail at all? Well, you know, th thank you for the, the kind words. I, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, and I, I, I think it, I think it does. You know, I think that that is a constant theme, and it's. I think that you know, leading positional authority is a, is a great way of putting it. Leading without having that, you know, is something that uh, is is very I think vitally important. And I think people can, I think, more people thinking that way would be better for, uh, for companies. Uh, you know, I, I think people yeah. having that that positional authority, that direct line management. Uh, higher fire authority, um, you know, take it as a big, you know, kind of feather in the cap and a, a big, like important thing. And we pay people significantly more for that. And we, uh, you know, we make it a big thing. Like you're not getting promoted, you know, you're not fast enough or how big is the organization you manage, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. But really yeah. that slightly softer, but more impactful idea of leading without that authority, I think is, is how great things happen. I think, you know, there's, there's tons of stories you know, about like, you know, hardware that was developed about, you know, things that happened with, uh, with like, I think of anything of consequence, you can even look at like the space program where, where things that like, these big things happened and it wasn't because the, the person at the top said, do X, Y, and Z, and we're going to go to the moon. You know, it's, it's all these people coming together and uh, listening to each other and doing things to, to help out that, that really make amazing things like that happen. That's true. And yeah. do you think that uh, becoming, so you've like started at bigger companies with less leadership responsibilities and over time transitioned to, you know, C-suite leadership roles and stuff. Has becoming a leader affected your personal life? Um, and if so, is it positive or negative? <laughs> I like that it's, it's a binary choice. It's either positive or That's negative. It. There are only two choices. <laughs> um. You know, I think I, it, without a doubt, it has uh, in, in both good and in bad ways. You know, the bad I think are, are relatively small, but you, know, you, 
you, you start to think a bit more. I think it's about who your audience is, right? So with my my wife and I, you know, it's great. I think I I think I'm a better listener in you know how we communicate because of some of the things I've done, you know, in my corporate career. Um, we also have two kids that are are fairly young, you know, and so there's times when like I, I will just kind of you know out of habit, you know, try and leave it to them to to make a choice, which is, which is great. And nine times out of ten, it's the right thing to do. It's pretty that's aspirational. How gonna, that's how they're gonna get better. But man, when they they make that tenth choice, and it's just it, you know it, it just goes completely wrong, you know that sometimes you have to be able to say like no, you you just you have to do this. Here's how it is. I'm putting you on um, a pip. Sorry, kid. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there's times at work where you got to put your foot down and say, no, I'm sorry. I really did mean this thing couldn't be in, you know, Elixir or whatever it is. Um, yeah. You, you do. But ho- hopefully you've gotten to the point where it's like it's like firing someone, right? Like if you're firing someone and it's a surprise to them, you, you've done it wrong. Not because like just that conversation, but there should have been a whole series of things that happened before then. I think the same thing sure. about like these other decisions. Totally. Yeah. Well, so we do need to wrap up for time's sake. A um, couple of questions before you go. Um, where can people find you on the internet if they want to know more about Rishi? Easiest place is probably Twitter. I'm at who is this ogre, and you can, <laughs> can find me there. There you go. And. Uh, Go ahead, Rachel. Oh, no, I was going to ask if it was a Dungeons and Dragons thing, but I'm guessing not. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had the nickname Ogre since eighth grade. So it's just a continuation of that. Okay. Wow. Well, things yeah. things stick. Um, <laughs> and I'm curious if you have a recommendation for something you're reading or listening to or something that you want to leave everyone with. Doesn't have to be leadership related. Anything. Ooh, interesting. Um, I, I, will, I will say two recommendations uh, from a leadership and like most beneficial to me most recently in terms of that kind of corporate, you know, thought and communication. Uh, Never split the difference. The that book was has been hmm. phenomenal. Um, hmm. So hi, highly recommend that. All right. Uh, and then second, just because uh, I think it's an under utilize genre uh, there's a lot of great progressive metal out there and so i think people should just go take you know 10 minutes and you know jump into that that deep end for a while so any progressive, progressive metal, metal being and i'm just going to show my uh, understanding of this deeply that's this is about welding right that you're t- i'm i'm totally kidding yeah, absolutely <laughs> welding woodworking you know anything creative yeah totally there you go there you go oh, come on recommend at least one band yeah, do give us oh, a concrete, concrete band. Absolutely, um, I think everyone would be very happy, and the world would be better. Go check out the band Protest the Hero. All right, definitely hero. doing I'm, that. I'm going to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm more well, of a death metal person, so you know. <laughs> I, I got some recommendations for that too, so yes. we, we can talk about that after. Talk later. <laughs> Kendall's like, let's well, wrap so it up. Thanks so much for being with us, Rishi. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go jump to another thing, but um, cool. I appreciate you spending the time. Thank yeah, you thanks for, for having me.